Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So there are three words from the history of movies that I can speak this morning, and more than likely you're going to remember it, and you're going to remember the scene and it's going to be very clear to you. And that is Tom Hanks saying, James Francis Ryan. Remember that scene from Saving Private Ryan where they meet the soldiers in the field and they quickly say their names and he says, Private Ryan. And Hanks stops and he says, James Francis Ryan? We found you. I'll never forget that movie. I went with a group of friends, and it was great. As someone who loves history, someone who loves studying World War II, whose grandfather fought in Patton's Third Army, I couldn't wait to sit down and watch this epic film. And when it was over, we, a group of friends went to eat, and we talked about the movie, and most everyone talked about the battle scenes, the landing at Normandy, how accurate it seemed to be. I talked about the leadership skills of Tom Hanks as he guided his soldiers in their search of Private Ryan. That was how most of the discussions went. And then one of my friends, she said to us, after a long discussion about this great movie, you know what I liked? We, we kind of all stopped because she was the... She hadn't said anything. We looked at her. She said, what I loved was that they were on a rescue mission to save the beloved son of a mother. And all the guys in the group sort of took a step back. And we realized in talking about the guns and the cannons and the tanks and the ships the landing ships and the fights and the battle and the grenades and you've seen it, you're familiar with it, that we had lost the central thing. They were on a rescue mission to save a mother's beloved son. How great is that? And that's what we're going to see in Mark this morning. A rescue mission that God the Father sends His Son on for our behalf. Let's pray. Lord God, this is Your Word, and it is true. And I pray that You would speak through me, set me aside, forgive my sins. May You and You only be heard, and may the cross of Jesus be lifted up. Amen. So there are three things we're going to look at this morning. The eternal love of the Father, the immeasurable grace of the Father, and the plan of the Father. Those are the three things that we're going to zoom in on as a congregation and examine. Now I want to begin by saying that this is a fairly straightforward parable that Jesus is speaking. And at the end of the passage, notice that the religious leaders wonder, was this spoken toward us? And the answer is absolutely 100% 
Jesus is sharing this parable for you to understand. And in essence, when we encounter parables, and we've talked about this previously in the Gospel of Mark, there is one main thing that's trying to be communicated. Sometimes, sometimes, there's a secondary issue that's also being addressed. But it's typically one big picture type thing in the parable. And in this, what we see is that Jesus is telling to the religious leaders that God has come to you over and over and over through the covenants throughout the Old Testament, and time and time again, you have disobeyed God's covenants. You have been disobedient, you have sinned, and so you have failed God's people. You in particular. I'm holding you to a higher standard because you are the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. You have failed. And so we see in this parable that God is taking matters into his own hand. Now that shouldn't surprise us because if we go back and we look at the covenants and we understand the covenants in the Old Testament, God is making a promise time and time again that He is going to deliver His people, that He is going to save them. And so Jesus in speaking to this parable, which clearly we know from later on in Acts, that His apostles didn't fully understand because He had to explain to them the kingdom of God even after His resurrection. So they probably didn't fully understand his parable. And we know that the religious leaders didn't fully understand it either. But they are cluing in because they think, this may be about us. This is a time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is growing in power and he's growing in prominence. He has entered Jerusalem. The king has ascended the hill. And because he has come with authority and might, the religious leaders are coming to the conclusion, we want nothing to do with him. Now, that's the grand question that Mark is asking in his gospel. Who is this man? Do you recognize his authority and do you accept him as king? That's the overarching question that we've talked about time and time again. So let's look at the three things that I mentioned earlier. First is the eternal love of the Father. Now, I want us to look at verses six and seven. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So what is something that we see in verses 6 through 8? I said 6 through 7, I apologize, 6 through 8. What is something that we see here? Well, we see the eternal love of our God. We see the eternal love of our Father because the parable is reminding us that He sent His beloved Son. Surely they will respect My Son. This is what God has done for us. That He has sent Jesus for us. Now, let's jump to Ephesians. Move forward in the New Testament and go to Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 3-5 through 5 in light of the fact that God has sent His Son. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now notice this, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him, 
In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So before the foundation of the world, God had placed His love upon you. You belong to Him. You were His. You were His child. He was desirous of you being a part of His family. But there was a problem. There was an issue that sin separated us from Him. That sin was the barrier that kept us from walking into the throne room of grace and standing before our older brother Jesus. And so God took the initiative. God took this into His own hands. God was fulfilling His plan. I am not going to let you die in your sin. I am not going to let you suffer. I am not going to let you be miserable for all eternity apart from me. I am coming for you. Private line. I'm coming for you. The soldiers came for him. They risked their lives to find him. They went to extraordinary measures and they didn't even fully understand it in order to bring him back to his mother. It's a fictional story that is interesting. The gospel is the truth. That is how much your God loves you. I'm sending my beloved son. And so... You're living life. And you've come here this morning. And you have all kinds of issues and problems and struggles. It may be at work. It may be in your family. It may be with your extended family. Maybe even within your own marriage. And we hear this. And what do we do with it? I mean, I have heard my entire life that God loves me and sent His Son for me. But what you do is you drill down on the depth and the significance and the majesty of that eternal love. I didn't want anything to do with Him. I had rebelled against Him. I had sinned against Him. I was far from Him. He didn't care. The Father pursues me in love. And so when I own that love, and that love becomes mine and it sinks down into the deepest recesses of my soul, that love then rises up and transforms me regarding the loving relationships I have with other people. As difficult as they may be, that I'm going to face issues at work, I'm going to face issues within my family, I'm going to face issues within my own marriage because the eternal love of the Father dwells deeply within me and it is significant and it changes everything. It changes my outlook on how I face anything and everything because He has come for me. Number one, eternal love of the Father. Two, the immeasurable grace of the Father. Notice verses 2 and 5. When the season came, He sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took Him and beat Him and sent Him away empty-handed. Again He sent to them another servant and they struck Him on the head and treated Him shamefully. And He sent another and, he, and Him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some 
they kill. Now there is on some level in this parable, Jesus is talking about the prophets that God has sent to call Israel back to covenant faithfulness and how the people of God and particularly the religious leaders turn from Him time and time and time again. But as we also look at these verses, what we see is what's called in theological terms total depravity. That people are depraved. They are sinful. They are fallen. They do evil things. They do wrong things. I know that apart from the immeasurable grace of God that I am lost and in trouble and evil. Lost and in trouble and evil. They killed the servants that were sent. Jesus is using this analogy to explain the human condition. You are a broken, rebellious people. Yes, you are depraved. But let's jump to Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. Let's hear what the Apostle Paul has to say. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 8. But God shows His love for us in that, notice this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. What does this mean? Well, this gets at what Jesus is saying in the parable, that the human condition is one where we are enemies and we are sinners apart from God the Father in Christ. We are enemies and we are sinners. I see this in my own heart. And it's difficult when you wrestle with your sin. It's difficult to realize I am not who I should be. It's difficult to examine yourself and to see all the different ways that you fail. We are not perfect. We are being perfected. But we are not perfect. It's part of living in the already, not yet. The kingdom is here in part. The kingdom is not here in all its glorious fullness. And so until we see Jesus face to face, we are being sanctified. I am desirous of being holy. Jesus has made me holy in the sight of God the Father through His work on the cross and His perfect life and my union with Him as my older brother. But, like Peter, I still deny Him. And He still comes to me. And He comforts me. And He restores me. So when I come to this parable and I come to Romans, I'm reminded that although I do belong to Jesus, that I still have the old self in some measure, as small as it is. I am a new creation in Christ who still fumbles and stumbles and trips every single day. So what do we do with this? 
what do we do with this parable? What do we do with this passage from Romans that remind us, reminds us of our shortcomings? Well, we remember that Jesus has come for us. The parable is a reminder that the Messiah of Israel, that the Son of God in all His perfection and all His glory has come for us. And when we come to Romans, we're also reminded that we have been reconciled. And so it says in verse 11, notice this, more than that, we also rejoice because of our reconciliation. Even though we were once sinners and enemies, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. So we leave this place this morning and our heads are not hanging low because we were enemies of God and sinners. We don't leave this place with our head held, our, excuse me, our heads held low because we attacked the servants that God sent. We leave this place with our heads, our heads held high. We leave this place because we have joy, because we have been reconciled with God the Father, because His grace is immeasurable. You cannot measure His grace. And it covers over everything. Everything. We were at the beach a while back. And I remember standing on the sand looking out at the ocean. And it just seemed so vast. Just so vast. But I can only see so far. And I can only measure so much. That evening, couldn't sleep. Ran across a program, very unusual, uh, on the National Geographic Channel. And the, the, the gist of the program is that they empty the oceans. So through computer, through computer simulation, they show you what the oceans look like if they were completely empty. Now, it was a very unusual show, although extremely interesting. But I realized as I was watching that, that from standing on the beach, looking at the ocean earlier in the day, I had really no concept of how vast the oceans are. They were showing the deepest trenches in the world. And that there are mountains in the ocean that are higher than the highest mountains on earth. And we can't see any of it because it's covered by water. And that 80% of the world, I think this is correct, is ocean. 80%. Yeah. I mean, you drive eight hours and you feel like it's the most exhausting thing and that you've covered half the world. And then you stand on the beach and you look out over the ocean and you see the vastness. Why am I telling you all of this? These interesting tidbits. Probably only interesting to me. Why am I saying this to you? Because that doesn't even begin to describe the vastness of God's grace. I don't think that there is language in the human race that can even begin to describe the vastness 
the immeasurable nature of God's grace. And it belongs to you. It belongs to you. You're no longer sinners. You're no longer enemies. You have no longer oppressed the servants that God has sent. You now belong to Him. You are in His family. The immeasurable grace of the Father. And finally, the perfect plan of the Father. Notice 7 through 10. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So we see in this parable the religious leaders are going to strike down the beloved son. But the father has a plan. And the father is going to redo all things. And he is going to give his kingdom to people, both Jew and Gentile. That's what he does That's what the Father is all about. And so we understand His plan. The fact that the cornerstone that has been rejected is going to be made the central part of the foundation of the kingdom of God. That this plan has been in existence since before the world began. When He placed His love upon us. When He chose us. And so we see the depravity of humankind. We see the Jewish leaders who want Him crucified. And we see the Roman leaders, the Gentiles, who execute it. And so it looks like humanity has won. We've taken the beloved Son of the Father. He's come into the vineyard. We've killed Him. We've threw Him outside the city's gates. We've thrown Him into the town garbage dump. We've gotten rid of Him. We don't want anything to do with Him. We don't want anything to do with God. We want our way. So it looks like the plan didn't work. We look like, it looks like the Father was foolish in sending His beloved Son. What a gigantic, eternal mistake that you've made. And so then His body goes into a tomb. He's dead. And then what happens? And we know the story. The plan comes to fruition. The Son is resurrected from the dead. God is restoring and renewing and recreating all all things unto Himself through the marvelous work of the cornerstone. Resurrection. 2 Timothy 1, 8-10 Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner. This is Paul speaking. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life 
and immortality to light through the gospel. What does this mean for us? It means that God's greater plan in Christ, His rescue mission has been successful. He's found us. He has come for us and He has found us and He has delivered us. And so what does 2 Timothy say? That He has abolished death, He has brought life, and He has brought immortality. So we come into this place this morning from many different, re- from many different directions, and our hearts are heavy. Because life is not easy. Life is not simple. And we struggle and we hurt and we're confused and we're frustrated and we're desperate and we're anxious and we're sad. And when we stop for a second, for those who belong to Christ, we might think His plan didn't work. Look look what I'm going through. And for someone who doesn't know Christ and they look at their life and they look at the world, they might think that there is no God at all. And there is definitely no plan. But then we look at His Son. And we remember those dark hours between the crucifixion and the resurrection when it looked like everything was lost that God's plan had failed, that there was no rescue mission, and then the stone was rolled away. And so what Paul is telling us in 2 Timothy is no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, remember that you belong to Jesus and He has abolished death, He has brought life, and He has brought immortality, and that cannot be taken away from us because we are His. How deep the Father's love for us. It's amazing. Let us pray. Our God, thank You for enlightening us through Your Word. Thank You for Your plan to rescue us. Thank You for Your Son who came for us. Thank You, Lord God, for the resurrection that You are renewing and restoring and recreating all things to Yourself. Thank You for the hope that we have because of the cross and the empty tomb. May that hope be real and may it lead us to worship and to glorify You this day. Amen.